0: Welcome back to the Hair Dryer Treatment Podcast. Manchester United shocked the world, and Liverpool. Alan St. Maxman tormented Manchester City, and Chelsea fall at Elland Road. All that's to come. But first, I'm your host and resident Jordy Kieran, and today I'm joined by Liverpool fan Andy. Hello. Arctic <laughs> Thistle and Brentford supporter Steve.
1: You my And Chelsea and Rangers fan Luke. Hello, welcome to the Hair Dryer Treatment. Bed. And in a change to the advertised programme, we're going to talk about the championship for the whole programme this week. Uh, Millwall, Chelsea <laughs> being our primary focus, and no other football games at all, except perhaps maybe Newcastle. Right?
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, sorry, Luke, wow. but unfortunately, uh, we
2: <laughs> make yourself a throw. I'm
1: a big Norwich fan, as you know. You know, so I, I just wanted, you
2: know, I just wanted. You are you you are looking a bit green after that result of the weekend. So <laughs> <laughs> you're
1: not wrong. You're not wrong.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely no time for it today. But nice to be back to our full compliment A couple of weeks without it. Uh, um, nice to have all four mm-hmm. us on the pod this week. Absolutely. How we Come doing? Have, everyone had a good week. Oh well, apart from the obvious.
3: Yeah, I haven't <laughs> until yesterday. I got some quite good, good personal news about potential <laughs> opportunity, and then within hours of that email I got, it just got sent straight down with um <laughs> that was <result> all from yesterday. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, i will do it. Well, to be fair, I think it's um, probably the best place to start. I think for this week. <laughs>
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, gotta, it's gotta be two just, just, just before Andy says it. So none of our teams actually won this weekend, and yet two of us are actually quite happy with the results and two of us are not so happy. Mm. Well, mm. I mean I'm not
0: sure what you're two, what you're over the moon about, but uh you lost the derby, did you not? Well we
2: did, but you know, we'll go on to that. Well, it's not a big game, so we'll talk about it later. But uh no, I was I was quite pleased with where we played, to be honest. Yeah, I mean we'll we'll talk about it later. It's on it's in the it's in the running
0: order, don't worry. But we are starting at Old Trafford. Manchester United beat Liverpool 2-1 um, in what was somewhat of a shock to many around the world after Manchester United were humiliated at the Community Stadium in London last week. ah, uh, Liverpool weren't great. Manchester United, well, they were. Uh, Andy, do you want to give us your assessment of it, mate?
3: Part of a fence, it was absolutely bollocks, I'm honest. It was a terrible <laughs> performance. It's the worst I've seen... As play in a long time, I think we've been bad all year. Didn't get any better, but Manu. It's it's so it's incredible how they can go from losing four 0 away to Brentford and playing like that to then go to play us at home with all the protests going on outside and to be look a far different team. But we were simply not at it. We had a. I know Schweinsteiger said it as well as Klopp. Some people saying we had a better team, but overall, I I don't see it personally. Manu. In midfield, especially dominated midfield. I thought midfield looked really old and leggy. Milner didn't look, had a great game at all. Van Dyke, not seen play as bad in my life. I don't think I've seen him play ever this bad. Don't know what he's doing for that first goal. You know, Trent was just a passenger. I think even for that first goal, you watch him. He just, he just he's just walking. He's not even trying to chase down the man until Richard the ball's right next to him. He could have easily, both him and Van Dyke could have easily caught that down, um, got down to that ball and got it. If they show more urgency with that goal, and then the second goal was just poor as well. Um, our goal was was fortunate. It wasn't even like we could can't even say we that goal was even well deserved. It was you know a bit, bit, bit of a scrappy goal. It wasn't exactly like one we're used to seeing. Um, and yeah, the only one I players I came away happy with were Diaz, Elliot, and Carvalho. Everyone else, I mean, Allison made a couple of good saves, but he also had a terrible kick at one point as well. So it wasn't good and i think for me my main issue is it obviously we've shown again a few injuries happened to our squad we're the worst team and i think Mane's departure looks massive right now you know tiago such a big part of midfield needs us can't stay fit you know milner looked i said before milner looked past it Henderson played alright actually not too bad but he's not getting any younger i just think we need more midfield more midfield depth i think we just need more players in midfield because we can't keep playing with, you know, I know when everyone's fit, for Fabinho, Thiago, Henson will be the midfield, but t- these players can't stay fit and I think we, we just need that depth. I think, I know we could get Jude Bellingham next summer, but that's not a guarantee. So I I, I don't know where we go from here. I think when, when everyone's fit, we have Canate back, Matic back, Thiago back, Jota back. I think we will be better. But right now with our injuries, I can't see us getting a win next week, if I'm honest.
0: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. Obviously, it wasn't a vintage Liverpool performance, but as you mentioned there, one performance that stood out in particular uh, was Virgil van Dijk. Mm. He did seem to struggle quite a lot at the back, um, which was a surprise given that he wasn't playing against, well, realistically, um, an out-and-out centre-forward, with Marcus Rashford playing in the nine in the first half, Martial in the second half, um, who I guess you could argue is more of a traditional centre-forward, but still... Yeah, he didn't have a great game, did he? And Steve, I just want to get your thoughts on that, on
2: Virgil Van Dijk, on Liverpool's defensive performance as a whole, really.
0: So I'll, I'll.
2: Go, I mean, I want to go back here, and Andy might agree with me on this. I want to go back to last season because we started to see the turn of Van Dijk towards the end of last year, as you were going for the title. Uh, and I think, in particular, I think mentally and physically, the Champions League final was a turning point for Van Dijk. It was a point at which he realised. I don't have the pace I had the season we won the league. It was a point where we realised I'm not. I don't have the football intelligence to play against the best strikers, the likes of Benzema, who you know who took him apart. And what we've seen from this season is players who we would look at normally and say these are quite limited strikers. that are physically stronger than Van Dyke, quicker than Van Dyke, and they're thinking faster than Van Dyke. And the problem... I mean. Obviously, Klopp's seen something, and that's why kind of Canati and, and Matip are there, and he's he's trying to play them. I know they're both injured just now, but I can genuinely see um, Liverpool at some point this season, much the way as Man United did last night, playing with a centre back pairing that doesn't involve Roger Van Dyke. Once Kanati and Matip and uh, Joe Gomez are all fit, I think he needs to rest Van Dyke. He needs to take him out. He needs to sit him down, and he needs to talk to him and say Look, what what is it that's different in how you approach the game. Because one, one or two things, I mean, Andy, I've seen the, uh, the massive argument between Milner and Van Dijk um, after that first goal. And the interesting thing about it was what Milner was saying was, I am throwing myself into this. I'm committing yeah. to everything. And you are standing five yards off and waiting for something to happen. And that you can do that 25 yards out. You can't do it 10 yards out. Van Dyke, when he's inside the six-yard box, seems to be he just can't commit to what he's doing. He doesn't know whether to go one way or the other, you know. And I wonder whether or not you know the departure of Manny and you know Nunes has been a great signing uh, or will be a great signing, in my opinion. But I think Manny had more in the dressing room um, than just what he brought to the field. I think he was one of those he was one of those guys who we won the league. We have the mentality to win the league, to win the big games. And I think that's damaged the team probably more than anything else. Yeah. I think Nunes will take time to settle. I think the younger guys, uh, the likes of Elliott, Carvalho, who, as Andy points out, played really well, You know, really put themselves about it. They will take time to learn when to go at it and when to slow down and when to think a lot a bit more. And that's yeah. what Liverpool looked like. It looked a lot like the guys who they needed the energy from were the guys in the centre, you know, uh, Milner, um, he didn't play Fabinho did He, he played the, the thing that puzzled me about that lineup was he didn't play Fabinho or Keita. Now, Keita wasn't even in the squad, and I think Fabinho supposedly had a knock, but the the, the depth outside of that just doesn't seem to be there. When I saw that he was starting Milner in the centre of the park, I, you know, I just, when I looked at it on Saturday, on paper, I had Liverpool winning that two or three now. And, oh, and when I saw that start lineup, I thought, This is a team that's in trouble. This is a team that's not entirely sure of its direction this season. And I think even with a fully fit squad, what he's got just now, you know, I'm going to, we're three games in, I'm already going to backtrack on my prediction of Liverpool winning the title. I'll be honest, I can see Liverpool taking that slot that Chelsea, um, I predicted would take They're finishing outside the top four, because that team looks disjointed.
0: Yeah, um, just to pick up on one thing that you said, Nabi Keita missed out through the game. Uh, missed out on the game through injury. Picked up an injury um, <coughs> in training, I believe. <coughs> oh, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, I think he picked up an injury on training. Uh, he's having a bad time with it with injuries. But
1: hmm.
0: Liverpool's injury list at the moment uh, it's quite extensive. You look Curtis Jones, Ibrahim Ekanate, Joel Matip, Oxley Chamberlain, Diogo Jota, Tiago Alcantara. Calvin Ramsey, all out injured at the moment. Obviously, Darwin Nunes suspended as well for another two games. Luke, is that depth or is that those injury problems? I mean, if you're going to get those injuries throughout the season, yes, what they're going through at the moment might seem a little bit extreme. But does Liverpool's decision to splash out big on one player rather than to add depth throughout the squad? Um,
1: Is that looking like a bad decision now or do you still think they'll stand by it? I would say so. I mean, I, I certainly thought that um, Henderson isn't getting any younger. I would have thought that they would have wanted to, to get someone with a, a great deal of promise to sort of, you know, blood into the team and potentially rotate, you know, Henderson in and out. Um, I, I, I'm sort of in agreement last night that I really thought that, that um, you know, there's not much you can say extra on top of what everyone has said which was the, yeah. the legs in midfield. field and um, what I would say I think is that I, I felt like Ten had got his, his, his tactics exactly right which was to press them hard and normally that wouldn't be a problem if they had the legs and the team to, to do that but what the, the difference was that they, they pushed right up on the fullbacks and they stopped them getting forward and overlapping uh, for the most part and I think Trent had easily the worst game I've seen and um, but I felt, I do feel like they've consistently failed to add decent depth in midfield, and um, in the last couple of, you know, the last couple of years, yeah. um, of the right type. Let's just say, um, and and I, uh, you know, looking at the injury list, yes, they have got injuries, but you know what? They're a big club. You know, you just need to deal with it, and you need to have the depth there to, to deal with that. And you certainly should be able to compete with Man United. Um, what well, do you think? Their reluctance to spend in the transfer window.
0: I mean, yes, they're they're buying one or two decent sign-ins every window, mm, mm. every summer window. That is. Where do you, why do you think they have this reluctance to spend and to improve the quality
1: of the squad right through That's from cheap. back to front? For for me at least, I think it's I, I think what Klopp is always kind of thinking is that he's got he's got to have like a a core of maybe eighteen to twenty that that are in with a chance of playing, and he doesn't like to have. You know, I don't feel like he, he wants to have a bigger, bigger squad where players don't get a chance. Um, not like your Chelsea's where you send people out on loan and then you kind of re- recall them when you need to and stuff. Um, so I, I kind of feel that that's... A, and, and it's also probably a decision from the hierarchy side of things as well. Um, and and I get it because you do want to have, you know, your, your, your best starting to live living pretty much with a couple of, you know, cover... Um, uh, you know, overall, but I I kind of think in the modern league these days you're going to have to have cover for each position, and I yeah. think that's an inescapable reality. and And I don't see that with Liverpool right now. and um, you know, I felt that uh, I felt that they'd really, really struggled last night, and and yeah. midfield was just an example of that. But actually, they could easily have hooked the whole team at halftime. I mean, there was only there was only one or two players who even got close to pass marks.
0: Yeah, I mean, terrible. personally, for me, I thought Harvey Elliott looked a bit of a bright spark, but um, yeah, he looked like even pretty, then. at times he looked the only one who was likely to create anything, to produce anything. Um, mm-hmm. Andy Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold, neither of them offered the usual creativity out from the wide areas. Um, yeah, Trent had a shocker. Trent had an absolute shocker. Well, I had wanted to come on to Trent next actually because I was just looking through the stats. Andy. Um, and Manchester United, 41% of Manchester United's attacks came down the left-hand side, which is which is Trent's side, realistically, um, which is more like quite significantly more than either the middle or the right-hand side. So they targeted him. Manchester United targeted him, and it seemed to work, especially in the first half, and Anthony Alanga was on the field, who I thought was really, really bright for Manchester United, especially alongside Tyrell Malassia. Um is his lack of defensive nous or is it, is it starting to become a problem for Klopp? Do you think, or is it just something that they're going to have to deal with or I don't know what, what's the problem? What, what's the issue for Trent at the moment?
3: I think I've come to thinking now that maybe he should play further forward because I think part of the issue is that he's not got Van Dyke, it's Van Dyke alongside Robertson and it's, you know, Van Dijk's often on the left side of centre back, and he got Matip normally there. But I think Gomez there. I don't think. I think if he had someone like Van Dijk or someone yeah. of that ilk and that leadership, sort honestly, I reckon he could be a lot better defensively. But I, I do think I do worry about him alongside someone like Gomez. But I there was a there was one point in the game Manchester where he got the ball in that right sort of centre mid position and went further forward, and we all know what he can do in an attacking sense. So I do think. The issue is obviously right now who will play right back, but I do think imagine if you had Trent, Fabinho and Thiago in that middle middle three. I think I think long-term, like with Gareth Bale when he moved from left-back to left-wing, I do think maybe Trent, I think he's been exposed not just in this game, he'll exposed in the champs, in the Fulham game in the Champions League final. I think there's been a few times recently where he has been exposed for his defensive ability. And I think we saw that a lot actually the year before last where we had all his injuries the F1 in the league. So I do think maybe future lies in midfield, maybe as a right centre mid. I think you can't have him right wing because Salah plays there and I think he can't do that. But I think if you can get him further forward, I think I think maybe now's the time to try and experiment Now We've got nothing to lose. I think the title might be already done. I think there's nothing to lose in trying him putting even, when he's fit, Calvin Ramsey or putting Joe Gomez or Milner right back for now and having, you know, Matip or Canate. And I, I think then if you have him alongside Fabinho and either Henderson or Thiago, whoever's fit, Essentially, um, I think that could work for the future. And I think that he's still young, he's got loads of time to kill. And I think right now, especially if he gets to say December time and the league clearly done, but we're in Champions League contention, I think there's nothing wrong with trying that, trying him playing centre mid and seeing how he does. Because if you have him right centre mid, especially, that still keeps him on that right hand side to do what he's done at, at right back. So I think that's for me personally what I would do in the future this hard right now because no one really else we can play there at right back that would do probably a similar job.
0: Okay, right, fair enough. Um, all right, we've spent quite a long time in Liverpool, but we do need to talk a little bit about Man United before we move on. Man United, obviously, week uh, last week against Brentford, really, really, really poor. It goes without saying, uh, but this week they hit back and they hit back in a major way, Steve. Um, they set the stall out right from the out uh, from the outset. They came out all guns blazing. Uh, but they had to, didn't they? They had to come out. They had to be a different team this week to what they were. But nine days to prepare for the game as well. Eric Ten Hogg,
2: whatever he's done in training this week, it's worked. I think the one thing that we, we noticed about that team was the amount of energy that were in, was in that team. Um, I remember looking at the stats for the first couple of games, uh, and I think it worked out with like the, the opposition. had run something like you know 9,000 metres in both games combined, more than the entire United team had. Um, and we looked at that again against Liverpool, and they outworked them. This was the one thing that was missing from the last two games was with real energy in the centre of the park. And obviously, we know Ten Hag likes to play a high press, um, but you know that hadn't been working for the last couple of games because he had more experienced but slightly slower players in Ronaldo and Maguire. Um, and what he did was, I mean, Malassia... Um, you compare him to Luke Shaw, you look at the, the amount of energy and the amount of pace he had. Mm-hmm. Um, with the exception of when Salah did, did get his goal, um, let's be honest, Malassia, I'm not going to say he had Salah on toast, he kept Salah quiet. Salah can run at you and run past you, um, You know, and he's done it to almost every fullback in the league because no one is as quick as him um, in terms of how he thinks and how his feet move. Uh, Malacia looks like, I mean, they paid what four, four and a half million for that kid. He looks a real find. He looks, he also looks immediately like someone who understands Ten Hag's system uh, and understands what he needs to do um, when he comes up against you know, a player who supposedly mm. is more experienced uh, and, and more, you know, uh generally supposedly a better player. Um, and I think I, I'm the jury's still on Dio Godalo. I genuinely don't know what to make of him. One week he he looks like he can't pass a ball. Next week, you know, he can he can keep uh, Diaz quiet for the whole match. Uh, The just the difference when you're playing, obviously in the centre, he played Varane and Martinez, and Martinez had an absolute blinder. We talked about Van Dijk's lack of ability to close down when balls come close to him. You know, Martinez looked as if he was going to kill himself with every single tackle. He threw himself in. Um, it reminded me a lot, Luke will appreciate this, it reminded me a lot of the kind of way that John Terry defended me was at Chelsea. You know, so like the ball's two yards off the ground, I'm still going to throw myself at it with my head instead of my foot. You know, I don't mind if I get broken in the process as long as that ball doesn't go where, where you know anywhere near the net. Um, in the centre of the park, we have seriously mocked Fred and McTominay for how long? Um, but just the, the way he set them out, This game. Um, They just were a completely different side. Um, And it was good to see Rashford with a little bit of confidence again, you know, being told, look, you are one of the best center forwards in the league when I start you deep and let you run at defenders and run at the space. You know, he's been used out wide as an almost winger for like so, so long. Uh, And for Ten Hag to say, actually, you're at your best when I sit you five yards off my dike, then I ping the ball into the channels and Mm -hmm. let you chase after it. Right. And that that caused, uh, especially Trent, that caused Trent and Dyke, it caused them so many problems over the course of that match. Van Dijk, but the Ten Haggard obviously said at the start, what I want you to do is, I want you to ping longer balls. I want you to put Liverpool on the back foot, make them try and play out from the back because at their best, Liverpool are a counter attacking team. Right. Give them time on the ball. You know, their curse for the last two seasons, and Andy will have to back me up on this one, has been, the difficulty in breaking down an organised, packed defence, right? Ten Hag obviously knew this and he exploited it. So he said to Liverpool, why don't you come at us from the other end of the pitch and we'll just organise ourselves here? You know, the the difference was night and day and United with the counter-attacking team, which anyone who watched Fergie teams, they were at their best when they got the ball and they pinged it out wide to, you know, a flying Ryan Giggs or, you know, whoever else they had up front. Uh, And he just... He got his tactics spot on. He motivated a younger team. He took the older heads and he said, "Look, you're still part of my team, but tonight I need this, and you can't give me that." Um, and it just it made all it made a world of difference. And more importantly, that goal within the first fifteen minutes it got the fans back on side. You know, they they had a ten thousand strong protest march on the way to the ground, uh, but when they came in the ground, you know, everyone was expecting another repeat of the the whole know, boo every touch, shout about the Glazers but they just backed the team 100% from the moment the game was kicked off
0: Yeah, I do think that was going to always be dependent on how Man United came out um, and I think the first goal was massively massively important had Liverpool got the first goal in that game I think it would have been in a very, very, very different atmosphere and you could have seen a Manchester United crumble much the way you did uh, at Brentford a week before but such as life, they came out. They were good, they were strong, and Jaden Sancho did really well to score his goal, albeit aided by Virgil van Dyke um, and Trent Alexander-Arnold's reluctance to man. close down for whatever reason. But yeah, good result for Manchester United, Manu back in the groove, but now we must move on, because we've spent 20 minutes, 25 minutes talking about Manu v Liverpool. Uh, but we must move on to the other side of Manchester, uh, the blue side of Manchester, who were up in the northeast this weekend to take on Newcastle at St James's Park, which what I provided, I was there, provided what I think is the game of the season so far. It was fast, it was frenetic, it was energetic. There was some brilliant goals in it, a quality on display all around, and I really, really thoroughly enjoyed it and a really good result for Newcastle as well.
1: Luke, did you watch the game? Tune tune. It was a fantastic <laughs> game, wasn't it? It, it was. was totally end-to-end, to end, and I'll, I'll tell you something. I was really, really impressed with the way that Newcastle really went for it. Um, I thought that I thought they were really energetic, pretty much the whole game. I thought Callum Wilson was absolutely tremendous and and, and unplayable in a lot of ways. I, I just thought the whole team played really well. Joe Willock had a great game as well. He did. Um, I thought he thought he really played well. He caused a lot of panic actually when he got the ball a couple of times and ran at them. I don't think they kind of were expecting that for Newcastle to be honest. Um, <laughs> But but the the only thing that I would say and, and you know this was I'm having a discussion with my mate G, and um, he's probably a good a listener to this, and um, and I agree with him. He actually said that he thought that, um, if the game had gone on another few minutes, I think Man City might have found a winner. And I think he's probably right at that stage because I think Newcastle were kind of running on empty at the end. Um, but but I thought I thought I thought the draw was the, the fair result. Kudos to both sides for making it one of the, you know, definitely one of the candidates for the game of the season. You know, only a few games in, but I can't think mm-hmm. of many games that are going to be better than that. It was brilliant.
0: Yeah, it was. It had everything, didn't it? Um, yeah, obviously, mm. I, say, I was there. It was brilliant. And even Joe
1: Linton. Even Joe Linton. And he he even, was pretty good as well. which was pretty even? good. What do you mean, even I Joel don't. Linton?
0: I'm He's the best to the uh,
2: look, 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 you've done it. You've just stopped. Don't just back away. Back away. <laughs> him up. You know where this is going if you
1: keep winding uh, up about Joe Linton. I'm only saying it to beat him and he bit.
0: So, ah, you're whee! damn right. I'm gonna bite every time. I don't, don't stand for Joe Linton Slander on the hair Dry treatment podcast. How many times? Uh I must say he was outstanding this weekend. And I'm glad <laughs> ever, I'm glad the world are starting to see. The absolute god that is Joe Linton, who is fast becoming, and I'm going to put my neck on the line and say this, Come he's fast on. becoming one of the best ball-winning midfielders in the Premier League. And he's, I he's believe it
2: thoroughly. He's, he's the Georgian Julio Giorgio,
0: a footballer and a gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> he's, a class, he's a class act on and off the field at the moment, and I'm thoroughly, is, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying. In,
2: in Golo Linton, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't need goals when he wins the ball back as, obvious, as much as he can he can just spray it out Alan St-Maxman and he can take on the whole team who by the way, this weekend was absolutely outstanding that was Alan St-Maxman's best game in
2: a Newcastle shirt yet did you watch the game Steve? I did, I watched the game I was fortunate enough to kind of sit in the pub and watch it and uh, oh that was just fun as a neutral, that was just fun to watch um, that was two teams that They've always been told by the managers before they start the game, we're not too concerned about keeping clean sheets here, right? We want to go out and go at the opposition. All right, I want to see as many goals as I possibly can. And you predicted it before the, before the match. You said, look, we will concede to City, right, because we never keep a clean sheet against City. And even at 3-1, I didn't think for a second you were going to keep it at 3-1. No, I was I surprised when that third one went in. But uh, they just... The way of Sun, Maxim, and at people is just genuinely scary to the point that I saw him linked with Man United this morning. Um, and when I stopped United laughing, get lost as well. <laughs> when I stopped laughing, I was like, uh, "Do you know what? I can't think of a I can't think of a player in that front three at United um, who he couldn't replace. Um, on that performance, he was better than all of them. And to be fair, on that performance, he was better than anyone the um, Liverpool's front three. Well, at least this season, anyway. The thing is for Alan St-Maximin is that's his
0: benchmark. Um, he's set his stall out now, and we know, we've know we always known what he's capable of. Like Newcastle fans watching week in, week out, we know how good he is. We know how good he can be. What it's about for him now is finding that on a consistent basis. It's no good in playing like that once in a while. He has to play like that every week. I'm telling you, that if Alan St-Maximin plays like that every single week... We will win a lot of football games and score a lot of goals this season and beyond, because he that that level of skill that his decision making the big thing in the game was that his decision making was excellent and he so was his delivery for once which is not it isn't usually um, he made the right passes at the right time his crossing was excellent and like I say I'm really 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 impressed by what I saw from him this weekend but like I say the challenge for him now is just to keep that up and he has to do that every week. Um, whether he can or not is a different matter, but we've got Liverpool in two weeks at Anfield, um, and if he plays the way he did in that game against Trent Alexander-Arnold, we might actually score twelve. Like, <laughs> like, if we if we if he plays like that against um, against Trent, he's going to have a good game. He's isn't you know, he? Isn't isn't he? It, it will give us a chance.
2: Two, two yeah. things. Two things. Maxima has to do. One, stay fit. Yeah. Mm, definitely. To stay focused. Uh, one thing he did against City that I said in previous podcasts was he has this tendency to get the ball and run at people and run so fast that his brain's thinking quicker than his feet are. You know, so when he gets up there, he's faster than everybody else in the team. He can't bring people into play. You know, he's beating the fullback and he's crossing into an empty box or he's having to stop and pull it back, you know, slow down play. Um what you could do with I saw this morning that Calum Wilson's picked up the inevitable knock that he always picks up.
0: Yeah, um, hamstring
2: strain. Yeah, and you you like the how Pedro. Now that would be a good signing because for me, what you've lacked is a striker who, when San Maximin goes on one of those runs and leaves everybody for dead, can actually keep pace with them and get into the box to get on the end of some of these crosses. Because from a counter counter-attacking perspective, you know, San Maximin is fantastic. But the support getting to him is a little bit slow still. And I think Eddie Howe knows that. And I think that's where you look in the, the transfer market.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think we do, we've do. we been uh, very clearly looking for that kind of forward. Uh, the Hugo Eketike mould, who was quite heavily linked with us, nearly ended up happening. He ended up going to PSG, actually. He got his wish. Um, but, yeah, João Pedro is of that ilk. He's versatile. He can play anywhere across the front three and behind it. Um, he's skillful, he's Brazilian, so you'll go down an absolute storm on Tyneside as we add another Brazilian to the ever growing quarter. Um, but yeah, I think he would be really a really astute signing. I'm not sure exactly how advanced that is or if it's going to happen. Uh, I read today that Everton are like tabling some sort of interest, they're going to try and match Newcastle's offer. Not that I'm worried about Everton, um, at this point in time, but you know, um. I think the only way this doesn't get done is if Newcastle decide that they don't want to match Watford's valuation, which is fair enough. Watford are entitled to their valuation of their star player. So um, I think they're looking for about 30 million at the moment. We've offered 25 million in plus five add-ons, but the add-ons from what I've been reading are uh, quite unrealistic. So um, I don't know if it's
2: going to happen, but fingers crossed. Uh, Anyway, Interesting talking about that for Watford Strikers, because I noticed that the Malang Sarr deal to Villa fell through this week on exactly the same situ- uh, situation.
1: Yeah, Esmila so The
2: add-ons and the... Uh, oh, yeah, The um the, Apparently, the personal terms were a bit awkward as well, but mostly it was the fact that Villa... They'd accepted Villa's cash offer, but the add-ons Villa were being quite awkward on, and yeah. Watford just weren't having it.
0: Yeah, apparently Newcastle's offers uh, add-ons were... Something to do with like Champions League, and basically, for them to be achievable, we'd have to be consistently qualifying for the Champions League. Um, and obviously, that's unrealistic at this moment in time, so yeah, um, I understand Watford's reluctance to do business with that, but hopefully, Newcastle can get something sorted over the coming days. But, uh, yeah, I think we should talk about Manchester City from the other side of that perspective, the other side of the coin, Andy. I don't know if you saw the game, but uh, Kevin De Bruyne. Oof, what a player.
3: I mean, he's best player in the league for a reason. Probably best I think he world could world. be the
0: best player in the world at the moment. I
3: prob- Yeah, I mean, you could argue him. I'd say on cone form, maybe it's Benzema, but De Bruyne players more to his game than Benzema. Um, but I, I think that you saw it, you've seen it all seasonally so far. The pass for Halland in the first game as well—that was a brilliant pass. And the, the pass he made for that—I can't think he scored with it. The Bernardo Silver goal, whether the one of the goals he assisted for, was just a phenomenal pass. And it, this is why City are the best team in the league because they can be three-one down and out of nowhere the boy could do something like that, or they can—they get two goals quick. We saw it against uh, Walt Villa, we saw it against West Ham. That you just can't
0: write him off. And I think it's—it's it's just testament oh, yeah. to that
3: team. I think De Bruyne is a They've massive
0: They've got so much quality. That oh. pass he made for Haaland's goal, um, which yes, was an equalising goal. I, Wasn't it, May I, You could be sitting in level seven, looking down on the game, looking down on the pitch from above and still not see that pass. He sees things at eye level that nobody else sees. Um, his vision and his way to pass is just absolutely exquisite. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy watching him every time I get the opportunity to, to do so. Um, obviously, it's it's not not always great when it's against Newcastle, but even then, it, he's he's so such a special player, and this game was absolutely no different. I thought he was phenomenal.
3: I actually want to ask as well. Um, obviously, he's still playing in the Premier League, and there's been a lot of talk about maybe all-time Premier League 11s and having some people are having the brain already in Emirates Field. Where do you guys? I don't know where you guys see him in terms of your. Do you he's think he's mine. very close to that, or is because he got? Keane, Vieira, Lampard, goals, Gerard, all these amazing midfielders that have played in the league. I don't know where you guys rank in terms of all time Premier League midfielders.
0: If I was doing a three, my midfield three would be Kevin De Bruyne, Patrick Vieira, and Paul Scholes. That's
3: a good midfield. That's a good midfield. Um,
2: I just, when it comes to De Bruyne, I mean, I just. I honestly kind of look at him and think, I just don't understand why Chelsea let him go. Because you you watch Chelsea He wasn't this player.
0: When he played for Chelsea, he was was nowhere near this player.
2: But it's like, you know, he would have developed, right? But it's one of those just lack of patience things with Chelsea. He's buying a lot of kids, and if they don't immediately hit it, bounce them out the door. Now, obviously, that's kind of been put paid to since Brexit, and they can't bring a lot of the Mm. the European kids in anymore. But it's still, you know, they just... He's easily the best creative midfielder in the world. Right, there's just mm. no question in that. Absolutely. Um, is he the best player in the world? The, there's a couple of
0: candidates that it would be against I, it, I don't think there's anyone who's I, better than him in this moment in time. But okay, I, like, in, I, in I, his, obviously it's up for discussion in that role.
2: Yeah, you know, he just he's phenomenal. And would I have him in my top three of all time? I don't know. I'd have to like go away and think about that and run about twenty five different spreadsheets. Um, but I do one thing. I do think about De Bruyne is De Bruyne doesn't get as much credit um, for his early seasons at City as the likes of Vieira and Keane and Scholes et cetera did in their teams, because De Bruyne was is hampered by the fact that everyone goes, it's just Man City, they just buy they just buy success, they just buy the players. <laughs> it's like you, you have to when you recognise real quality and you recognise you kind of a guy who perfect example. That season that City lost the title um, was it to, to Liverpool, yeah? What was the one defining factor of City's season? It was De Bruyne being out for six to eight weeks in the middle of the year, and suddenly City had nothing in that engine room. They had a lot of guys mm. with a lot of, um, a lot of heart, a lot of soul, a lot of energy. They had absolutely nobody could play that killer pass, right? And that was the difference between you know City and Liverpool that season. Uh, as soon as they came back, as soon as he's fully fit, so he just look unstoppable. Yeah, I mean, he's... I think
3: in the um, the year that they won the league when we had ninety seven points and they had ninety eight, I got a the feeling then he missed. I won't say half the season, which is a credit to he did happen that team, but he missed most of that season. You could argue, and he he
0: did. I think Kevin de Bruyne is the difference maker. I mean you took you look at the two the Man City and the Liverpool teams. I think both of them are phenomenal teams and you've got the two best coaches in the world, in my opinion, at the helm of the two of them. I genuinely believe that, as much, in the same way that Liverpool's difference maker in the past has been Virgil van Dijk, uh, I think Kevin De Bruyne is the thing that separates the two teams, in my opinion. I think Kevin De Bruyne... Without Kevin De Bruyne, I would say Liverpool are a better team. I
1: would I would agree with you, there.
2: I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I, I think, in terms of squad depth, I still like excited a better team.
0: I, if you take Kevin De Bruyne out of Manchester City, say so he transfers to PSG tomorrow, mm. Liverpool are a better team. When everyone's fully fit, Liverpool have a better team, in my opinion. I think Kevin De Bruyne is the difference between the two of them. I really do. I think he's that important.
2: I think if you'd argued that two seasons ago, I would have agreed with you. But I think this season, with the way you can see the regression in, in Van Dyke and the way you can see the regression in the likes of Trent, I don't think that's quite the case. You said that like Van, Van Dyke was Liverpool's difference maker, and he was, but the, the key word oh, there yeah, definitely, was definitely a case of past tense. Yeah. Uh, whereas De Bruyne still is. And that's why, you know, watching these first three games, it's just you can just see City running away with it. You can see Spurs finishing second, to be fair. Because mm. Spurs have looked excellent. But we'll get on to them later. Uh yeah, we will
0: indeed. Well, actually we might not, because I don't know if I'll put them in the running order. But still, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Luke.
2: Luke, did you write this running order?
1: <laughs> well, the running order is actually next. It's uh, Norwich, and then I think it's Patrick Dissell and then Brentford. Is that right? Well, actually, Luke. Actually,
0: <laughs> what is next is one that you're not going to like very much at all, because next up in the running order is Leeds three, Chelsea nil. Luke, would you like to talk us through that one?
2: I'd love to hear what just- Luke has to say on this. I've just died.
1: Sorry. Bong. <laughs> Your call is in a queue. It's very <laughs> important to us. You are caller number three hundred and forty-seven. Uh, we will be with you shortly. <laughs> uh, um, stop
0: filibustering! Come on. Um, well,
1: <laughs> the first goal was an absolute disgrace. Actually, that that was the thing. I mean, I don't know what Mendy was thinking about, but I had my head in my hands. I could not believe it. Um. And to be honest, the team just fell apart after that. The, the second goal, I think, was really, it was beautiful. It was a lovely goal, actually, and I've got to applaud them. It was it was a really nice free kick and just a beautiful, beautiful goal. Um, but but really, I think at that point then, I was just thinking, uh-oh, we might be in trouble here. And we just didn't seem to have another gear. Um, so... I just sort of think we were totally shell shocked, and and to be fair to Leeds, I think I put in. I looked at the stats; they ran something like collectively three miles or something more than than the Chelsea players, and that that was obvious. They really wanted this, yeah. um, so so you got to give credit to both the players and the coach, even though it's dirty Leeds, and I hate doing it. Like I really hate doing it, <laughs> <laughs> but you've got to give them credit, and and we need to take a bit of a hard look at ourselves. We we sort of turned up with overconfidence and thinking oh and, and I don't bl- I don't blame the bus by the way unless it was the world's worst bus in the world and um, I just think that we turned up and thought that we deserve to win without even trying and I that's inexcusable as far as I'm concerned so so really pick your game up boys this is not acceptable don't agree with it uh, the next game be a better be reaction or they will be hell to pay mm-hmm.
0: uh, yeah I mean we can talk about Chelsea's defensive woes in this game all we want but. Steve, I think a good place to look at for Chelsea is their offensive firepower, or maybe lack thereof. I think they've only scored three goals in three games this season. So Raheem Sterling yet to get off the mark. They, they don't. They didn't even look like scoring a goal. I was like, from what I saw of that game, they didn't even look like scoring a goal. Like, what what's what's the issue? Is it the, is it the lack of the number nine? Is that is that the only issue? Is it just missing that focal point, or is Raheem Sterling being used? Wrong? What you I,
2: I think the problem is further, is further back down the park. Um, The problem with Chelsea is they have a lot of really kind of energetic, engine room type midfielders, guys that will put themselves about, run about the place, you know, yeah. put the shift in. What they don't have, we just mentioned them, is a De Bruyne type player who will slow it down when everybody else is running about 100 miles an hour and pick that pass that, we, that puts someone through. You know, that's not Jorginho, that's not Conor Gallagher, it's not. Loftus-Cheek or you know, any of the current Chelsea midfield. Um, there's a lot of industry in there, right? And they will grind out results this season. And that just seems to be to each once. But, you know, the, the likes of Mount and Sterling, they thrive when they've got someone else, you know, running past them, you know, threading those balls through, you know, giving the, putting the ball into space and letting them get into it. And that's not happening. Chelsea are, are sitting there, and you can see them when they're like 30, 40 yards out, they just seem to run out of ideas really quickly. You know, Havertz is, I don't quite know what Havertz is, maybe Luke can explain to me what what Tuchel thinks Havertz is. Is he a kind of traditional, is he, is he a false nine? Um, is he an, an out-and-out striker? Is he kind of, he, like for he me, he's... He hates you, by the way. He hates you. That's
1: what I'm tell you. He totally hates you. He told me the other day, actually. <laughs> but Steve, he's a bit harsh. <laughs>
2: right. I'm, I'm Kai Harsh, yeah. No, That's like, I don't I don't quite know what it is. I mean, if the idea of Tuchel is he plays in the way kind of Firmino plays for Liverpool, whereby he's not yeah. an out-and-out striker, but he'll move to create space for the players around him, then it's not working. Haberts isn't. He's not playing that role particularly well. And obviously, as a striker, he's not getting the goals. Um, he's not creating the, the space, he's not laying the ball off for, for Mount and Sterling to get the shots off. I think Sterling had by one good chance at the start of the game, came in off the left, you know, beat a couple of guys and then tried to curl it to the far corner. But beyond that, Sterling was pretty much anonymous because they just couldn't get the ball to him. And again, that goes back to that lack of creativity in the center of the park. So much industry, but no creativity. Um, Conor Gallagher, if you remember when he was at Palace the season before, Conor Gallagher didn't sit there spraying balls about the place. You know, He played the Lampard-Mount type of role. He was the guy who was sitting behind the strikers, picking up the ball and and making the the late runs. He wasn't Mm. the guy picking the ball up 40 yards out and pinging a a ball out to the wing. Chelsea desperately need that. And I can't see how Tuchel hasn't seen this in his squad building this season. Uh, Well, yeah,
0: I mean... You look at the the Kai Havertz. He probably has <laughs> the Kai Havertz situation. I, I suppose he's traditionally a number ten who can also operate off the right wing or play as a false nine if mm. needed. Mm. That mm. is that that's Kai Havertz. Traditionally, he's a number ten, but Chelsea don't really play with that. They play with um they play with Mason Mountain, sort of them like the Thomas Muller role, the Ram of mm. role that mm. Thomas Muller made his own. Um. And they seem to be at the moment playing a three, some version of a three-five-two, where both Kai Havertz and Raheem Sterling leading the line together. Um, but whatever they're doing at the moment, it isn't working. So Andy, they're quite heavily linked with Pierre Emerick Aubameyang at the moment. It looks like that probably will happen. Is Pierre Emerick Aubameyang the answer to Chelsea's goal-scoring woes? Goals? Will he help? How will he help? And where will he fit in?
3: It's tough because the Bamiyang we've seen recently is not the same bowing out we saw win him in FA Cup score goals after goals. So it's a question of I, mean, I, I don't I didn't actually check what his overall stats have been about. So he had a good start, but I don't know whether he actually did well since. But I think I'm not too worried because they did. I thought they played well against Tottenham in that last game. So I think I think this is just a one off. But I do I think Stanley's is a great signing and I think he can play that role. But I do think that. Maybe they do need like a, a number nine. I think getting a Bamiang, I think, would be an upgrade on I know Halfett scores the important goals, but I think of overall season, I think if you get a in. And I think maybe if he's in a dressing room where he's actually once off the O'Tested and one him towards the end, I think maybe he could score goals at the start if he's if he feels loved. I think he's just trying that kind of player that if he feels loved, he'll play much better than when he isn't. So I think they need someone, but then you don't want to get the wrong play at the same time, um, like as the proved. So I think Eddie, yeah, maybe because he, he isn't he has score goal, he has score goals, goals, but I think if you can get someone else in he's maybe younger and yeah sort of actually mm. in better form. I know the game for Farnham in, but if they can get someone trying to think what of a plan they can get, it's hard to get a strike because actually available right now. But well, I at, the, at the, the
0: moment the three transfers Chelsea are in quite heavily linked with. Are a seventy-plus million pound move for Wesley Fofana, the centre back from Leicester. A sixty million pound move for Anthony Gordon from uh, Everton, which is that's outrageous true. fee. Um, and well, what would probably be around a fifteen to twenty million pound deal for Aubameyang. You asked about his stats for Barcelona. Uh, he has he, last season for Barcelona, he scored thirteen goals in twenty-four games.
3: Oh, in get Panthers. him in, get him in for so twenty million as well that's a bargain I think get, get him in even if it's just a year fix or just a year he doesn't perform well I would I would I get him
2: Definitely. I think it's, well, a good, it's a yeah. good
0: acquisition yeah I mean he's clearly not the long term solution but in terms of a, a stop gap for a year it could be
1: a good option for Chelsea don't you think Rip? I think so yeah I think so I, I'd be quite happy to, to take him just to, to sort of um, you know, help the squad more than anything else and I think he'd be a really good quality addition so I'd be delighted with that. That and Fofana, and I'd be delighted with that because I think that's the, the sort of, you know, that that would, um, for me, fill the gaps that we need with our, yeah, for mean, the system that we want to play.
0: You've skipped over uh, one of the three there, so I'm going to ask you for your thoughts on Anthony Gordon as a Chelsea boy. Anthony Gordon, tell me where... Tell Me, what it is that took a season in him, uh, why he wants him, why they're willing to pay 60 million for him, and how he fits into
1: that Chelsea system. Do you have yeah, any questions? Because I can't, I'm struggling. Well, I think, I think probably the likes the fact that he's a bit of a live wire and he's he is a standout in that Everton team, so you know, he is he is someone who I think is probably the best player on the team, I would say, or, yeah. or certainly the best young prospect. Um, I, I like the fact that he's quite lively and he does give you those options you know, he is, he's, he's his movement off the ball is pretty good and I think that that's what Tuchel sees more than anything um, and, I, and I quite like that, whether whether he's worth 60 million, that's another question altogether, and whether he'll actually get a regular game, I don't know um, but I, I, I would imagine if they get him then, I would think that, uh, uh, you know I think there'll be another couple of players on the way out yeah,
0: I mean, Anthony Gordon, something that stands out to me uh, and the Anthony mm. Gordon saga is normally when a team's telling the star player, the general consensus online is uh, from that team's fans is like basically like they're in a state of mourning. They really don't want to lose mm. that player. One thing I've noticed this week is that Everton fans aren't in a state of mourning. They seem to be more willing them out the door Um, Mm. for the the fee quota they seem to be uh, I've seen more Everton fans say oh get him get him gone take him down there absolutely let him go for 60 million he's gone but I saw Mm -hmm. them saying that for 40-50 million as well so they're the people who watch him every week so if that's their thoughts on the situation then I don't know could it be a rushed first window transfer for the new owners that's it's it's an interesting one
1: um, almost inevitably it's going to be just because of the nature of it Um, And I think that's the, you know, I I think they've been under a bit more pressure than they wanted to be in order to get somebody in. And I feel that that's pretty obvious. You know, it's fairly obviously what's happening at the minute. And it's a wee bit disappointing that that there is so much pressure. Um, But given the way that last season ended and the way that we're under sanctions, it's hardly a surprise. And, And the way that we've had to really adapt so, I mean, I even said at the start, I would love to see us put a challenge in this season, but I just can't see it. I don't think it's
2: going to happen. All right, Steve? Yeah, what does Tucho see in Anthony Gordon? Young, English, and a price that's half what Jack Grealish costs. And to be honest, they're probably <laughs> comparable players at this stage in their career. Because Grealish mm-hmm. is like, you know, he's got very little end product sometimes, but he's quick and he's tricky. And, you know, and he makes players kind of come in on him. Uh the other thing about it is obviously you have the whole uh Champions League thing whereby you want the best available English talent in your squad. Um and obviously the price that he's been quoted at, Tocho said, Yeah, yeah, get him in. Um, but yeah, Luke's absolutely nailed it there that the um the whole uh thing with Abramovich in the summer really harped Chelsea's squad building. Um, mm. and they're still they're playing catch-up. Uh, it'll probably be, I reckon, the end of September before we start to see a really consistent play in their team. I think mm. Fafana will be a really, really good acquisition because one thing that that Leeds game showed was the lack of pace in the back three at Chelsea. And if mm. Tuchel wants to play a back three, and it includes, you know, Koulibaly, who is a very, very skillful defender, but isn't the fastest. Thiago Silva, who's, what, 35 this year? You know, and it was often playing as Pela yeah. as well. He just, he needs... More pace, you know. You look across the city at Arsenal, you know, what did they do when they saw that they had like a, a very slow paced defense? You know, with Gabriel in there, and um, who's a big Italian center back? Scalacci, was it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what, what he did was he went out and he said, I'm going to get a younger, quicker, more mobile center back, play alongside him. You know, and I think that's what you need. If you've got a bruiser, you need to have two quick guys either side of him. That's the thing, kind of, that's exactly you yeah. really you it. Really working. And for Arsenal, it's working brilliantly because you've got Saliba and White, and we'll come on to that maybe later, um, and it's letting Gabriel just be the big kind of thug to bully the, the centre-forwards. Um, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I, I think I think Anthony Gordon would be a good acquisition to that team. I think maybe um, his arrival will push Pulisic out the door. I think Tuchel's kind of seen enough of Pulisic to say, I want to cash in on him while I can. I don't think Pulisic has really been there two seasons now. And he's always just been a squad player. He's never really kicked on the way we kind of thought he would when he left uh, left Dortmund to come to the Premier League. Yeah,
0: hopefully good news for Newcastle, who've been quite heavily linked with Christian Pulisic. Um, well, what you've been in? You've just uh, had a bid for Jack Harrison
2: rejected today. Twenty um, million pounds. No, that was last week. But uh, keep up. Nope. But yeah, it was. No, no, no you went. You went back <laughs> to an approved offer and to increased their price. No, and it,
0: yeah, you're, you're a few days behind. But yes. Um, that's not going to happen. Jack Harrison's not for sale, but yeah, Christian Pulisic would be a really good sign. If it happens, I think probably on loan with an option or an obligation, Um, but yeah, we'll see how that one pans out. Uh, I feel like we don't really have the time, but I feel like we've just spent 10 minutes talking about Chelsea and we have to praise Leeds because Leeds went out there. They put on a good show. They did well. Uh, Andy, 3-0, 3-0, it's a great result for them and it's a great start to the season for Jesse Marsh, uh, whom a lot of people really, really didn't expect to do anything this season.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I actually missed the game on Sunday. Um, and I think actually they could be a team that goes for Pulisic purely for the American link. I think they've already got, it seems like half of the men's team play for Leeds. I think if they can get him in, there's been talk of it as well. But I think that's probably more of a heart... Overhead sort of thing So um, in yeah. terms of leads I mean I had them to go down I know um, In you know The um, Other podcasts I do Everyone's had leads Me- People were doubting them And I think that there, So far is is three games That I hate This kind of talks early on Because you see loads of teams Who start well Or vice versa And don't oh, actually yeah, Absolutely move. So I think Maybe we need to hold the whole But what I've seen so far Rodrigo looks a different player Does um, doesn't he yeah, and the players they bought in look good as well. So I think it's a good start, but I'm very hesitant for both Chelsea and Leeds that we shouldn't carry away just because they did well and they did bad. I think it's a long way to go, and I still think that come the end of the season, Leeds may well still go down and Chelsea may well still get top four. But what I've seen so far from Leeds, it's been impressive. It's been impressive.
1: But yeah. we're still going to slate Jesse Marsh, right? I mean, Steve made the point just there in the chat that we all slated him in the pre the you know the preseason thing. I'm still slating them right now, right? We might have had one game, but you know, one swallow doesn't make the summer. Frankly, you're, going down, are Lur- we, dirty leads. you're going down. Are we,
2: right? we going to start calling you Lemon Luke because you're that bitter? Yeah, totally,
1: totally. By the way, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I will say
3: actually that I have to praise Leeds because they, well, they went two 0 up and then let the two goal teams lead go against Brentford and got that last minute winner. I won't say the first game was a stimulus sort of thing, but I forgot what happened the first game. And uh, did they come back from behind or just win the game? They like just rubbish.
1: They were rubbish. That was all it was. See, I'm better now.
2: They, they play. <laughs> they play for the manager. You can you can see a lot of guys that come in there that, that Marshall mm-hmm. understands what they what he wants from them, and they can. Mm-hmm. He clearly communicates to them what they need to do in the park. Um, I know. You know, Kieran was talking about how much he appreciated Brendan Aronson coming across. I think Aronson's probably one of the best talents to come out of America in a long, long time. Um, he's He was wrongly, he wrongly had that goal taken off him. I think that goal should have been given to him in the last game. Um, and I, I just, I think he could be one of the real surprise packages this year.
0: Yeah, he started the season really, really well, um, which is nice to see. It is nice to see. I do like Brendan Aronson quite a lot. So... Uh, boys, we've got about five minutes left and four games to get through, so let's um have a quick fire, quick fire opinions on Bournemouth Arsenal. Uh, Jesus look great, Saliba lovely, Erdogan yes. master class.
1: Luke, that, that don't disagree no. with you, don't disagree with you. They, they, they've um, you know, uh, much as I uh, and you know, my opinion on Arsenal, right? I really, really hate praising them, but actually, I think. I think uh, you've got to applaud for what he's done yeah. um, I think signing Jesus has been transformational for them and he's certainly yeah. become a bit of a talisman already
2: Absolutely Steve what were you going to say there mate? Uh, front four at Arsenal looks settled look like they've been playing together forever they understand each other beautifully it reminds me a lot of Liverpool the first couple of seasons when they got that front four playing really really smoothly um, and basically Arsenal have improved so much to the point where Chelsea and you another know, team that's bang average mm. Damn. Shut up, you. Shut up. <laughs> <it. laughs>
0: Andy, um, looking at that from a Bournemouth point of view, I mean, obviously they're playing against one of the best and probably the most informed team in the league, Barn Manchester City, right now. Uh, but Bournemouth, are they already dead and buried, do you think? Is it, or is it too soon to be saying things like that?
3: I mean, they've beaten Villa and lost to
0: Man City and Arsenal. So I
3: think, in terms of, they're, they're always going to lose against those teams. So of think course. We see them play against. But equally, going back to Arsenal, firstly, that Saliba chant is the best I've heard in a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of them, they've looked, albeit I know that, they've looked really good. And they could be massively wrong, but let's see them play against the big teams. Because right now they've beaten Bournemouth. They've beaten Palace. Well, that was a narrow win, but still comfortable. And then the other game was, I forget, Leicester, who are obviously in free for the players that are leaving. So I think whilst Arsenal look great, and I'm very, very praising of them so far... Let's see what they do when they've got European football to collide with. And also, let's see what they do when they play the likes of City, Spurs, Chelsea, even Leeds, Fulham. I, I think people are getting, I think and right now, getting carried away. But I think at the same time, they have been oppressive. So I think if they can keep yeah. playing like this, I think they're going to have a great year. But I think just hold the, hold the rein slightly, Arsenal fans. Maybe, you know, see how they do in a few games when they play maybe harder teams
0: yeah I'm moral of the story three games probably too soon to judge a team
2: Steve what's your point there mate I was just about to say that uh, yeah I did predict Parker being the first manager sack after seeing in the first three games I probably haven't changed my opinion um, but you know they are still above Liverpool on the table so we can't predict a gun going down just yet ha <laughs> ha Klopp first manager sacked odds on
3: um, outrageous that'll be <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: alright quickly to uh, a London Derby Fulham 3 Brentford 2 Ivan Tony mocked uh, Alexander Mitrovic's celebration, only to be a judged offside. Um, Fulham did really well in the end. uh, Alexander Mitrovic among the goals again. Fulham started the season really well and sitting comfortably in the top half of the table. Luke, uh, London rivals, how are they looking so far? How are you thinking of them?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I thought Mitrovic was tremendous. I really did. I thought he was—he was, he was eight. another day he could have a hat trick, and, and you know that would have really helped my fantasy team because I'm not, currently I'm, I'm now second bottom thankfully because I had a good score this week. But <laughs> um, but he, he is. I mean Fulham. I think I've learned a lot of lessons from the last time they were here in the Premiership. It seems and it feels like they've—it feels like they've made the right sign-ins It feels like they've they've sort of realised what they need to do to to sort of um, to stay up. And I think that. It's really really fascinating and um, you know to watch that kind of evolution um, because I, I thought they were really naive the last time they, they played and I, and I thought that um you know and I thought that was taken they, they got taken advantage of and um, so I I would kind of be wouldn't be optimistic as such because I still think they're going to have a hard time staying up and I, I don't know if they've got that quality but you, you yeah. at the same time you've got to think well, at least they, you know, they're, they're giving it a good fight. They've tried their best to sort of learn lessons and, and hopefully they'll, they'll sort of, you know, um, you know, make a difference and may, maybe they will stay up by, you know, by virtue of that. I don't know. Um, but I thought it was a great, actually, I, I, you know, I didn't see the whole game, but I watched the highlights and, and it was pretty much end to end and, and, and it was really quite good. Um. I think it was it was it Tony that scored the goal actually that was quite I quite liked his goal I think I'm pretty sure it was Tony. Nice, that was nice. yeah, and I quite liked his goal, um, but I thought Brentford showed a lot of dig as well, and um, so Steve, you can be quite sort of optimistic about them as well, you know overall, um, but both teams that if they ship goals that they're, they're going to have problems, and I think that's the that's the only issue that I would have with both teams, um, but let, let's see what happens. Yeah, I, I hope that. You know, I, I certainly hope for the fans that they at least enjoyed their season and they're not getting humped every game, you know, because I think that's the, the worst thing if you come up and, and your second season syndrome and stuff that's the thing that you worry about. But I think as long as the, the result against Man United isn't a high for Steve for the rest of the season, do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, uh, Steve, if we could have a quick Brentford assessment and then uh, I think we'll have to wrap up.
2: Yeah, yeah. Both, both teams in that game really good creatively. Um, I think we maybe could have done a little bit better at the back. But Mitrovic is a beast. He's a completely reborn player this season. I think mm-hmm. he's going to pick a lot. He's going to cause a lot of problems for a lot of defences this year. Um, I don't think either team, based on that performance, will go down. Um, when you're at the bottom of the table, the hardest thing to do is score goals. And both teams have proven in the first three games, they have players who are capable. They have big game players who are capable of scoring goals. Um, and both those teams are going to be a lot of fun to watch this season. Um Probably because neither of them is particularly brilliant defensively. Um, I'd like to see Brentford be a bit more organised um, going into mm. the next couple of games. But um, you know, I'm really pleased to see Josh De we getting around the team again because obviously he had a bad injury last season. Force of way back in, couple of early goals. Should have had a goal here, um, but you know. Uh, and when was goal should never have been chopped off? It's never offside.
0: <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. all right. Uh, I think that is probably all we've got time for. If we didn't mention this your club this week, well, we'll try and get them in next week. But yeah, gonna have to wrap it up. Leave it there. Thank you very much for listening, uh, and we'll see you again next week.
1: Bye. Cheers, everyone.